Hey, members, Latinos in Clinical Research, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we have a special guest. We have Cassandra Andrade. She is from uh, Florida, correct? That's right. Sunshine awesome. State. Awesome. Awesome. So we're here. We have her today. Uh, so thank you so much for being here, Cassandra. We really appreciate it. Um, so just, you know, to give a little insight to our members, uh, can you let us know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure thing. So I feel like we have to say hola, right? Hello, how are you guys? Hola. Um, so as Ashley mentioned, my name is Cassandra Andrade, and um, I am a director of strategic accounts for um, a large global organization. We're a language service provider as well as a technology provider. And um, I just was so interested with all the great things that you guys are doing. I wanted to reach out and see how we can get involved and help out and just bring all the good news and everything that I've learned in the past year and a half, uh, which I think we'll get into later uh, to the team. But um, yeah, Director of Strategic Accounts, been with the organization for about five plus years. And about a year and a half ago, I, I shifted roles from more translation language services and now really focused in clinical technology, supporting a lot of sponsors, CROs, and indirectly sites, but we're also seeing an increase in sites. So would love to chat with you guys, uh, let you guys pick my brain. And also I want to pick yours and uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for being here with us today. So, you know, you mentioned uh, the translation, right, for the cells that you were in, the account management. Um, and this is actually, you know, we were talking about this earlier today. This is actually a really huge topic uh, for sites between sites and sponsors and the issue of, you know, um, Latinos and not having well uh, representation, especially when it comes to ICFs and translation. Um, so, um, and I don't know if you know too, too much into that aspect of it, but, um, you know, can you let me know kind of what the process is on your side, on your end, as far as how you go about communicating with sponsor and site and all of that? Yeah, I appreciate the question. So I think we see a mix of things in the industry, right? On the language services hat, that's the hat I'm gonna put on. Mm -hmm. um, when I worked in the Miami office, which we know Miami is it's extremely bilingual, um, we saw a huge increase in requests for translations into Spanish for the US market, um, ICF primarily, as well as um, Haitian Creole. Mm -hmm. So there was a mix of different things. And I think if, if a lot of the folks are kind of on the site side, um, what I want them to take away is that there are options, right? Um, we've seen sponsors specifically say, we want sites to use our workflow, our process, and we want to, them to submit all translation requests through us. Um, but we also see some sites, like some academic sites, actually set up translation uh, relationships directly with companies such as ours to get the real-time kind of translation requirements that they need, right? You're at the site you know when to expect the patient, you know what type of information you're gonna need and the, in the consent, um, site-specific information. So we do see a mix of you know, sponsors and CROs actually managing the translation relationship, but as well as some sites coming to us directly and saying, hey, how can we form a, a, a relationship so that way the timelines are, are being met? Um, because oftentimes I did see where a lot of sites would say, hey, listen, we submit it to a CRO, and the sponsor, and we don't get it for weeks later. And it's kind of too late, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was a need, but now it was kind of like, well, we didn't have it. So we just kind of took the English form and somewhat consented someone verbally, right? I don't know in terms of regulatory requirements that's the right thing to do, but um, I think that there is an opportunity to kind of have those 
not tough conversations, but conversations with the sponsors and CROs to say, hey, you know, these are the timelines we need to consent the patients. These are the timelines and requirements we need. Realistically, how soon can we get these back? Um, so I don't know in terms of timeline, if that's something you guys kind of wanted to cover. Um, there also is one thing that we on the, on the language services side often tell our, our clients, like consistency and quality is really important, right? Um, the quality of the translations that we send is important as well. You want a consent form that's actually going to make sense to the person that's reading it and that it's not, it's going to be a quality translation. So with the established relationship, we're, we're doing things like uh, branding, style guides, right? Um, word choice and preference. So if, you know, our partner, in this case, sponsor, CRO or site has someone that knows kind of the target market a little bit better and says, hey, we actually, instead of saying, um, you know, uh, medical, we wanna say, you know, a different word. Well, that's good for us to know. And we have to be proactive in having those conversations uh, because if not, then, then the quality of the work is also not the best output that you guys at the, at the local level will need. So I hope that answers the question, but that's kind of what I've seen is a little bit mix of the two. Like the site's getting frustrated that they're not getting the content that they need, um, but then the sponsors and CROs kind of want folks to follow their standard process, which is good. But I think there's an opportunity to really increase the direct communication to, to be able to get our, our community what they, what they need, which is you know, the information in their native language. So they feel comfortable participating in that trial or they feel comfortable with the material. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. That's I have actually... a question. Oh yeah. Go Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, you, um, you said that universities or sites have, have come to you for translations. So if I'm a site and the sponsor will not pay for uh, ICF to be translated, what does something like that cost at site level? Cause I, I think we've actually ran into this problem with some of our sites before in which the sponsor will not pay for these translations mm -hmm. and it's up to the site to pay for it. Yes. That's in terms of, uh, no, that's a fantastic question. Cause we did see it as well, right? Like do we consent the patient in their native language? Do we not, we find other ways. So mm -hmm. Chris, is your question specifically around, um, from, like from English to Spanish. Is? Yeah. From English to Spanish. Um, What's that process? I assume you translate it and then you send it off to the IRB for approval, correct? So we translate it and send it back to sites for sites to submit to, to the, the IRB. IRB. Okay. Yeah. And what does something um, like that cost? Yeah. So it, it depends. There's different levels involved, right? The first is um, how much of content we're translating, right? So some, some folks say, hey, we have an ICF, we need it translated. The other thing is the quality, right? Like a freelance translator will probably do a one step. Um, we, on the other hand, are doing like, like more of an in-depth three-step process where we're translating the content, setting it to a proofreader to proofread, and then we're doing the format and quality. Um, so, you know, some folks in the industry charge a flat rate, like some freelancers charge a flat rate of, you know, X amount. Um, and others do, like we, um, is more of a, a, a price per word. So the, it's hard for me to tell you how much it actually costs because there's so many factors involved. The volume of work that you have, um, the quality levels that you want, as well as how much content is in there and the turnaround time. So a big factor is if you know going into the study that you're going to have to consent a patient in two or three weeks, um, that's important to know 
that you're going to, as you're, you know, getting the English consent, that you're thinking about the Spanish language or the other language components because of the fact that it's, it's going to cost more if you need something turned around in two days versus five days or six days. Um, so it can, it can vary. I've seen everything from, you know, like a four page document, anywhere from, you know, $25, $50, $90, to $100, you know, plus dollars. It really depends on the process, the turnaround time. And there's Perfect. so many factors involved. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate y'all, you know, just being so specific too. Like, I really like that you asked in specific wording, because I mean, I know where I'm from, you know, we do have some types of terminologies and we have Spanish, medical Spanish, but it's not always like that when you're actually discussing it with the subject or the patient. So um, I actually like that. I find that very like a personal touch. So that's, that's amazing. Um, so for your company, Transparent, correct? Um, is it global or is it just, you know, in certain areas throughout the US? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. So we are a global company. Um, we've been around since 1992, so many, many years. Um, the founder is extremely engaged and someone that, uh, you know, we, we see on a constant basis, of course, when we were traveling before. Uh, but we are in, in over um, 60 countries around the world. We have over 5,000 employees. Um, and um, yeah, we're, we're a global service provider. We have um, strong relationships with top pharma, pharmaceutical CRO companies, as well as local sites and, I, and IRBs, especially as well. Um, so we, we like to say that we're global, but we are local, right? So if there are um, folks out there that are really looking to, to get you know, that one-on-one relationship and service at the local level that's something that we do and so we would connect you with someone like if you're in texas in your site we connect you with someone in texas if you're in california you got some projects going on there then you'll have a local representative um and in italy you know we have someone there as well so um definitely we're, we're a global company and and we'd be happy to support anyone um that needs it actually had yes, a no. go ahead uh, uh... Yeah, I had a quick question. So I think uh, it's important to simplify this for the people that are watching. So somebody might be watching right now, and this was me like 10 years ago, you know, I was naive. I didn't really understand like the regulatory environment that clinical research operates in. Like, why, why can't I just, you know, I have a Spanish speaking staff member, okay, maybe she answers the phones at the front desk or something. So why can't I just have her translate? things you know like answer this question because i think i i know the answer is complex but i think people watching may not be aware of the the extent of the complexity here yeah in terms of like the regulatory side i can't really speak so much to that um but i think it comes down to the quality and and ensuring that we're we're, we're communicating the right message to people right um, just on this call alone, like Ashley, Dan, if, if you, you know, Chris and Monica and everyone, if you speak a Spanish, we can say one word right now, we'd go around the table and everyone would say a different thing. And it may mean something else to someone else. Somebody may be offended by the way I say a word. Other people may say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so what we try to do and the reason why it's important to reach out to people that are experts in this field is that you want to ensure, number one, that you're communicating quality um, quality communication, making sure that the content that's being delivered to the patient is accurate, hands down. 
um, number one. Number two, that it's consistent, right? That, that there's that consistency across trial to trial to trial level. If you have a site and you're going to consent the ICF with one person locally, and then you're going to do it with someone else, you may see inconsistencies in message. And that's another thing in terms of, of, a, of a local site kind of being able to ensure that they have consistency of message and, and all of the um, factors involved. So I think it goes down to it's, it's easier in real time, but also what if the message that that person is communicating or the way that they translate it isn't accurate? Like what is the effect of that on my business, on my local business, right? Or, or what is the risk involved and associated with that person being consented um, by someone that is not native 100% to that language or that doesn't do that that day in and day out. Like I can tell you, I've worked with the organization for over five years. If someone were to ask me to translate something, I wouldn't feel comfortable. And it's not because I don't speak the language. It's not because, you know, I'm not teaching my kids. It's just that you need a professional to make sure that the, the communication is accurate, um, that it abides by any of the local standards, the local language requirements as well. So I think, I know it's not a short answer, but that's kind of what I would say. Sure. Thank you. Wow. Monica, were you going to say something? Yeah, I, I was going to ask in how, well, nice to meet you, Cassandra. <laughs> and thank you for being here. Uh, so the question I have is, in how many languages do you guys translate? That's a fantastic question. Um, it, it's going to sound like, yeah, right, but we can do it all. Um, we wow. have, I mean, we do from from English to Spanish, which are probably the most, you know, Spanish and French, probably most hottest uh, languages, it depends on the region, right? But I'd say in the US, you have Spanish for the US, Canada, uh, which is very close. We know a lot of folks who are running trials there, but um, we have a network of linguists around the globe that we are just able to find someone for you. So that's another thing, that's a good question, Monica, because it also takes into consideration turnaround times, right? The turnaround time, for a consent for uh, Spanish is probably a lot faster because there are more Spanish speakers around the world uh, than it is maybe in Afrikaans or um, let's say, you know, another language. I can't think of one off the top of my head, right? But- Rioli. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, there you go. Um, so <laughs> we, we, we have local like in-house teams, our project management managers are, are employees of our organization, but um, we also have freelancers and people that we hire that are best at what they do to, to partner up the project. So I think that's another important point to note, right? When you're looking for, and I don't want to make this all about our organization. Like I really want people to do what's best for their, you know, their, their project and things like that. But what's important to keep in mind is if you're going to have a linguist, right? Like a freelancer, let's say, that person probably doesn't specialize in, in every single area. Neither do we, right? So if you come to us with, with a marketing brochure for, uh, or a recruitment brochure that you guys are looking to get people to, to participate in a trial, that content and language is probably very different than an ICF form mm -hmm. and the communication that you want to get out to people. So it's, for us, it's not the same person translating the same content because the messaging is different, um, the language is different, the tone is different. And so we would pair you guys up with the right, um, making sure that the linguist that we use is the right one based on that content and has experience with it. 
And also, I can imagine that, uh, for example, if it's advertisement, you guys already know what are the rules and regulations and what it was to create uh, or translate a content from one language to another that is going to be approved by the IRB. Yeah, so that's a great point. I think it's important that people realize like we are not regulatory consultants, let's say, and like we, we can't legally tell you, you know, this, this document's gonna be translated in this language or this is gonna be do that or anything like that. But we do, from our experience in the industry, kind of know what the best practices are and would, you know, communicate to you, you and your team if you guys were interested in saying, hey, what do you think about this, right? We can be very, very um, proactive about kind of having those conversations with you all. But I think from my understanding, and mind you, I'm kind of newer on the life size space. So I don't want to kind of be speak, misspeak, but from what I've heard, like we don't really um, consult on the regulatory aspects, but we do give you our best practice recommendations based on what we've seen. Awesome. And, you know, just hearing you explain that process and just kind of what entails, it, it does sound a lot. So then I guess, you know, being some, somewhat naive, right, in the aspect of sponsor, because I, I don't work for a sponsor and I'm not obviously in management with sponsor, um, but understanding now, I guess, from their perspective, why or how come it is that they're probably more hesitant because on a massive global scale to be, you know, dealing with that many subjects, it, it probably is a whole lot. So um, in that, you know, in that case, I guess, you know, from your perspective, do you feel that it would be much more easier for sponsor to take on a company such as yours and and find better ways to you know uh, work around so that they can span out to more sites or do you think that um, it's better overall for site and for subject that site just you know does, does a one-on-one -on -one with a company like yours I guess in the sense of the process I mean our our biggest philosophy is centralization is key um, and what we mean by centralization is kind of bringing all the content under one house and one umbrella, similar to like your marketing campaigns or, or your, you know, your advertising campaigns and things. You're probably using the ad agency. And it's, it's, it's the quality, it's the consistency and message, but it also comes down to sheer volume and cost, right? Um, so when we set up uh, an account, let's say Latinos in clinical research, right? Um, you guys are a team you guys have different projects. Let's say you're, you know, the marketing division, Ashley, Dan is regulatory and Monica is clinical. All of you guys have content that you're translating. If you actually go somewhere else, you're not leveraging any of that translation that Dan and, and Monica can use for their projects. So what we do is, is we look across the organization as a whole and say, hey, we have the technology set up so that every time Ashley translates, you, Dan, can benefit from that content, not just from a cost perspective, but a messaging perspective, if you wanted it to be the same, right? So we call that translation memory. So if you hear anybody say, hey, you know, what's the translation memory? You're going to say, well, what does that mean? Well, that's basically a database of content that you have built up that anytime Latinos in clinical research has a project, I can go into that database and give you lower cost lower, you know, because we're saying charge per word, lower cost per word, that in the end, Dan may have a document that is, you know, 15 pages, but he's going to pay far less because Ashley, you know, used 
you know, the, the, the marketing material is similar and Ashley already actually translated a lot of that content. So Dan's benefiting. And so the organization as a whole is seeing greater cost savings, right? So, if we're- Sorry, no, no, go ahead, sorry. Oh no, so I was just gonna say, so, so from a cost perspective, that's kind of what the sponsors, I, I believe, right? I can't speak for them, but I think that that's what kind of focus the, the people have and the recommendation we make is centralized, centralizing translation is going to give you greater quality because the messaging, right? Um, it's also going to give you faster turnaround times because maybe Dan's project has 15 pages, but 10 of those 15 pages we already have in the database. And so we're really only translating five brand new pages so where that project could have taken X amount of days, it's going to be far less because we're leveraging a lot of that, right? Um, so in terms of quality, a cost perspective, um, timelines as well. So those are three things. And the fourth thing is technology, um, which I think we're seeing an increase in the industry kind of head this way. And a lot of people um, don't really see the benefits maybe at times of making the investment, but Latinos in clinical research, for example, just taking that as like an example, if you guys had technology in place that would manage your translation workflows, right? Um, Ashley, if you are gonna take vacation last week, but you have a project that you need translated, we have technology where Dan can go in the system and say, hey, where's that project that Ashley submitted? We gotta get it to the RRB, we gotta get the patient consented or whatever it may be. You know, you guys have visibility in those project workflows that you can see what you submitted and timelines and things like that. Or, um, as I, yeah, so I'll stop there, but, but that's kind of <laughs> the overarching. What makes it very efficient, though? That sounds yeah. awesome that y'all are like, working on both ends of that, which efficiency, right? So that's, I mean, sponsors need to get on it. I mean, clearly the product is here, you know. They need to utilize it because, I mean, if you're saving time, efficiency, and all that good stuff for the site as well as a sponsor, then there's no re I don't think see that there's any reason why it shouldn't be utilized. I mean, clearly we're in serious need. So, um, and I just wanted to, you know, also touch base. You had mentioned that you had noticed that there was a huge increase in translation requests. So have you been noticing that? I know you said from Miami, but in just in general, have you been seeing that increase uh, transparent uh throughout the U.S.? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's my personal, right? I always put on my hat to say, this is just me as, as a person, not really uh, someone on behalf of the organization per se. Um, but I, I, I personally see the benefit, right? With, with translating content in people's native language, right? Um, we know for a fact, just, just going to the doctor, there are a lot of, of older folks in our community, like Hispanics, like grandmothers and things like that, they don't feel comfortable talking to their, 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 their practitioner about certain subjects, right? Um, it's just, it's a common knowledge. So when you have the content in the person's native language, it's just, it, it kind of eases that, that, that barrier, right? Mm -hmm. Or so it's not that we've necessarily seen an increase in it. I think it's just, I just think that, that there's, Maybe, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that, right? I'm thinking putting the marketing hat on when organizations are seeing that Latinos are spending a lot more and the consumption is there. Like now they're trying to say, oh, well, maybe we should do these ads bilingual or maybe there's, you know, this hidden elephant that is, you know, the largest mi minority or majority, whatever you want to say, mm -hmm. that folks are now taking it seriously, right? Yeah. Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, it's still, it's still, I think there's, there's a huge opportunity in terms of um, the content we're translating. And I know right now we're talking about like document translations, but we're, we also have, you know, websites, um, mobile applications, a lot of the patient material or a lot of like the iPads and things like that. For recruitment. Um, people don't, yeah. So people don't really see it as, you know, if I'm going to have a consent and I'm going to have an iPad, you know, maybe another company is doing the iPad translations and all the content there, but we have another provider doing document translation. Well, there may, there may be inconsistencies. So I didn't really answer your question because I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily like an increase. I think it's just more, maybe people are paying attention a little bit more. I don't know. For sure. No, for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So uh, now I guess removing off that topic, um, Tell me how you came across Latinos in clinical research. Really interested, especially given that, you know, you're more in the, the sales marketing aspect and you still link to the industry, obviously, but really interested. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. So I'm just going to be completely transparent. Um, I have been with the organization for five plus years and about a year and a half ago was asked to, to join the um, e-clinical technology and kind of more lifestyle focus. Um, and it was a new industry for me. I, my background wasn't in life sciences at all. Um, and I just felt like I needed a, a group of people that would kind of understand maybe my background, where I started. I was in public affairs before doing a lot of U.S. Hispanic outreach um, to get people involved in, in global like national initiatives. And I felt um, like I just needed to know if there were others out there that we can have a chat and kind of I could just share my thoughts, um, ask you guys for advice. And so I, I searched, I think, maybe last year, really didn't find anything. And then was kept, kept saying, there has to be a group, there has to be, you know, a group out there. And so luckily, I saw it. Um, and just said, I'm going to reach out. Because for me, it's, it's just knowing that there's people out there that kind of understand um, what I grew, how I grew up, what I grew up, right? Like I always lived in the States, but you know, there was a point in time where a lot of people would say, Hey, you don't, you don't, it's una gringa, sin acento, like, <laughs> who are you? And you know, no, but I'm, I'm Hispanic. No, you're not. You wouldn't <laughs> live there. So for me, it's just, um, kind of una mano amiga, like, you know, people that, that can, I can just reach out to to say, Hey guys, I'm newer in the industry. I don't know everything. I want to learn you know, can, can we help, like, how can I share my knowledge and help you guys to share what I know and you guys share what you know and, you know, educate a lot of people. I also think that I never once thought I'd be in the lifestyle industry at all. Um, so this has opened up a new world. And I said, wow, I don't think a lot of the people that I associated with or a lot of my friends even thought of the lifestyle industry as somewhere to be. Um, so, you know, how can we take the knowledge that we have and share it with future generations and say, hey, do you know, you know, there's, you can be a CRA, you can be, you know, a coordinator, but you can also do technology sales um, and, and, you know, help, you know, with language services to get, you know, patients the information they need. So um, I'm very passionate about it. I'm still learning. I don't know all the answers, <laughs> but um, that's why I wanted to connect with you guys because I just saw what you guys are looking to achieve. And I was like, I, I want to help out. So. Awesome. That's Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you hit the hammer on the nail. That's our mission. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, there yeah. Was, and there was no organization prior to us, by the way. <laughs> That's why you never found <laughs> <No>. one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're happy. We're happy to exactly. deliver. And, yeah. and Monica yeah. and Monica Kitiva always says, "I hope I got your name right, Monica." After Done. six years, Kitiva, Kitiva. Monica Kitiva. Kitiva. She always says what you just said, uh, Cassandra. Like, no matter what your background is, there's a place for you in clinical research. I think people don't understand that even after COVID, because you watch CNN or whatever news you watch. They're all the same, but whichever one you watch, uh, you know, they they paint clinical research to be something fancy, only done in institutions with like very expensive equipment. They don't realize that there's like mom and pop clinics that do the majority of trials and mm -hmm. they need help with everything. Mm -hmm. They need help with Instagram. They need help managing their TikTok. They need help with their websites. There's like sales. Sales is huge because mm -hmm. once people get into research and get experienced, they're like too good for sales all of a sudden. So <laughs> there is there is a need for every kind of background. So thank you, Cassandra, for confirming what Monica MPC has told us. <laughs> well, I, guess I, I mean, I was just going to follow up on that point. I think that's a great point, Dan. Like, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't sure if I could reach out. Like, just literally, I was like, I don't think I fit in that category. Oh, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to email <laughs> Ashley and say, hey, I want to meet you one-on-one. -on -one. And I literally was transparent with her and said, hey, I don't know if I clinically, if I am in clinical research, um, but, you know, I'm here nonetheless. So I think, I think it's, it is important to tell people like, you know, clinical research, we mean so many different things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on the site side, mm -hmm. like just research like in clinical and, and come on board. And like, I'm already saying I'm on board, but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like reach out nonetheless, because you can't lose. And so for me, that was important just to say, um, I'm not at the site, but I'm still part of re clinical research. So I'm, I'm welcome. Yeah. And well, you know, just to, I guess, add on to that, I guess my last question would be like, as a Latina uh, in the industry, right? Uh, how important uh, do you feel it is that organizations have and promote inclusivity and diversity? I mean, it's, it's, it's instrumental. I mean, it's, it's, and it's so important because um, if we want to have successful clinical trials, which is ultimately, you know, safe, safety for patients and, and successful clinical trials, the best thing is to have people that understand the people that they're serving, right? Like it's not the same to just kind of check off the box. Um, it's, it's really a matter of not just saying that we support diversity, but having a diverse workforce, having the people that understand the local communities better than, you know, or, or just understand the local communities to be able to get people to participate. Um, and we're seeing it right now with the COVID trials and stuff, right? Like a lot of people are, are, are saying there's, there's a missing diversity population, right? <laughs> there's a lot of like white, white, mm -hmm. um, but you know, African-Americans or the black community and the Hispanic community, there's, there's not a lot of them out there. And so if we really just, just holistically, introspectively say, hey, are we really doing everything we humanly possibly can? We probably aren't. Yeah. And I think a lot of that wow. is making sure mm -hmm. that we're recruiting and we're hiring people that 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 may not have all the creds, 
may not have the Ivy League schools, but have the willingness to work, the hard work mentality, and will get the job done. And, you know, I'm a testament to that. I don't have the life site background and experience, but I think my teammates will know, hey, she worked hard and she'll be there for us and give, let's give her a chance. So I think we just need a chance to have a seat at the table and prove people that the Hispanics and Latinos can, can, can be a very instrumental part of their clinical research. Boom. This is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you. I saw, I saw the passion there. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sure. sorry. Oh my gosh. Excited. No, no, sorry. No, this is great. I mean, divine destiny, right? You, you came into our, our sphere and then for good reason. I mean, you know, this is what we want. We want to meet people like you and we want to uh, collaborate with people like you because it's not just one person or two or five. It's, the whole it's everybody it's hint you know mm -hmm. everybody everybody so we need to we need to rally together and get this moving and um really appreciate you coming on today uh cassandra andrade sorry <laughs> i want to make sure i pronounced it right thank you so oh, much fine. we really appreciate it and uh i do expect to be collaborating with you more in the future for sure hands down i'm pretty sure everybody else here can agree to that but um thank you so much you guys have a great one <laughs>